If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Before I begin the pastoral prayer, I wanted to bring to your attention a place where you can give if you feel so, so inspired uh, to some of the disasters around the world. Uh, If you go to ucc.org and go to donate, you can designate a gift to disaster ministries. So we will be keeping in mind worldwide disasters as well as local today and so many other things as we bring our hearts together for a time of prayer. Let us calm ourselves and welcome God. God, we pray this day for all those who suffered in Friday's Oklahoma storms. Everything looked fine, and then everything was so scary. Be with those who are cleaning up and those who came to the rescue on Friday. God, we pray for those who were afraid on Friday for children who were just leaving school and it was thundering and lightning. We pray for people who are afraid of many things. There are people who are afraid of the COVID vaccine. God, let us pray that we can find a way to save ourselves from this sickness. God, we pray for those who are not taking the virus seriously enough and pray that we might have patience to build community. God, we pray for those who are so threatened by this virus, who are immunocompromised, who cannot leave the house, who are caring for another, We pray for them as they live through this difficult time. God, we pray for medical professionals who are stretched to the limit, who are exhausted. God, be with them and give them strength. Help us to support them. 
We pray, O oh God, for teachers and students and parents for a trying time, for a worrying time. God, bring us all peace and wisdom. God, we pray for the people of Haiti today who have suffered a massive earthquake and great destru destruction. May our hearts be with them there, even though they are so far away. Be with the people of Afghanistan who are terrified as war descends and as their country changes so quickly. Oh God, surround them with your peace. God, we pray for children, for the children in this building, for the children of our community, for children around the world, some of whom don't have a place to live, some of whom are not only scared of thunder and lightning, but of war raging. God, we pray for our warming planet, for the species that are threatened, for the changes that seem unstoppable. Help empower us to do your work for the good of all creation. God, we come to you with gratitude for the voices of children, for the brilliant blue sky, for the puffy clouds and glints of sunset, for opportunities to gather safely. God, we're grateful for music that takes us away from our worries music that reminds us of your goodness, O oh God. God, we are grateful for communities that are learning to work together. We're grateful for, for this community, for those we trust and know and love. Help this community turn us into bridge builders who can move out and create larger communities that can transform the world. Amen. For those who are watching, I am quite a safe distance away from the next nearest person as I remove my mask. Well, the scriptures in the bulletin are not the ones I'm going to use. I had a perfectly good sermon prepared and I ditched it because the events of the week intervened and sometimes you just need to ditch a good sermon. It started more than a week ago when we were gearing up for the kids to go back to public school and some 
government leaders here in Oklahoma, who notably do not have medical degrees, were making statewide decisions about public health. They were making decisions that said our children could go back to school without masks if their families so decided, even though the medical professionals were saying the Delta variant is dangerous. Everybody in school needs to be wearing a mask. And so I was getting concerned about my two kids and everybody else's kids who were about to go back to school, not to mention the teachers, but particularly about those kids too young to get vaccinated. And I had been reading a lot from the medical doctors. Occasionally, someone will see the doctor in front of my name and get confused that I'm that kind of doctor. So I'm quick to point out I am not that kind of doctor. But I am the kind of doctor who will see what the medical professionals say is good for us all. So I wondered what to do, and I started writing letters. I wrote a letter to the governor who said, well, you can send your kids to school in masks, which I did. I wrote a letter to the superintendent of the public schools, Dr. Sean McDaniel. You heard me mention it last week, if you were here. And I kept on hoping that something might change before school started so that everybody would go back to the public schools in masks. I mean, we found out last year it worked remarkably well when everyone wore the masks. It's kind of a pain, I get it. I taught all last year at the university wearing a mask didn't take it off at all unless I was in my office. It's, it's not the most fun thing, but it's doable and it's better than a pandemic. Well, school started on Monday, the first day, that was last week, and we sent our two kids off to public school. One is old enough to be vaccinated and the other is not, and they're both old enough to wear their masks, so that made me feel a little better. But each day that went by, I got a little more anxious hearing more about the pandemic numbers and what the medical professionals were advocating and what was not happening in the schools. And so I wrote some more letters. I wrote my representative. I wrote every single teacher of my child who is too young to be vaccinated. My husband wrote letters and I worried some more. And then on the fourth day of school, I found out that on the third day of school, there had been an exposure in one of my kids' schools. And apparently it was not the only exposure, in fact, Superintendent McDaniel came out later in the week and said that the Oklahoma City Public Schools active case count went from single digits to triple digits in three days. I know we all want this to be over. Wasn't July fun? But it's not over and wishing it doesn't make it so. I was furious 
it seemed so predictable, so preventable that this kind of thing was going to happen. And my whole family was upset. I probably took the lead there, but the kids do not want to go back to screen school. You know what happened after the first day of school? My kids were so happy. They loved school. I mean, who of you could say that about sixth and seventh grade? They were so excited about school. This is what we want. Well, I might have said some unloving things about certain state leaders in front of my children. Unloving things about certain state leaders who have made public health decisions for all of Oklahoma's children, even though those certain state leaders do not have medical degrees. And my daughter responded to one of those less than loving comments. And she compared said leaders to Nero. And I did a double take, first because my daughter mentioned Nero. She said she got that from Rick Riordan and all the audiobooks over the pandemic. If you don't know who Rick Riordan is, just ask anybody under 20. But he writes about Greek gods. And as my daughter said, Mom, you can't read anything about Greek mythology and not know who Nero is. But I also did a double take because Nero, I mean, I know about Nero. That's what kind of doctor I am. And this won't be the last you hear of Nero or my daughter in this sermon. Within about an hour, I was on the phone with another parent from the same school of the child where there was the exposure, and we were venting and talking and worrying out loud together. And she said that she is also very concerned about some family members who are scared to get vaccinated, one of whom had said, they won't get vaccinated because it is the mark of the beast. Which if you didn't know, that is something from the Bible. And again, I'm that kind of doctor. But I had not heard that claim before, this whole thing about the vaccine and the mark of the beast. I had apparently not been on that part of the internet, so I ventured out. And I discovered that there's a Florida attorney and very important influential political leader uh, named Peter Feeman, who has claimed that vaccines are the mark of the beast. This was in August. And then back in April, Marjorie Taylor Greene, a representative from Georgia, called vaccine passports the mark of the beast. And it was sounding familiar, you know, legislators making public health decisions on behalf of Oklahoma's children, even though they don't have medical degrees. And now people making public health statements related to the Bible without having religion degrees. That is when I decided to toss out the original sermon and preach today on the mark of the beast. 
You see, I always say, when you don't know what to do, when you feel helpless, when things are going wild, out of control, do what you do. And this is what I do. So this is in the book of Revelation. If you would like to follow along on your phone, I would recommend for an ad-free reading experience that you search on NRSV or Ramus, O-R-E-M-U-S, Revelation 13. That's NRSV or Ramus, Revelation 13, or you can just listen. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on its horns were ten diadems, and on its heads were blasphemous names. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And the dragon gave it his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have received a death blow but its mortal wound had been healed. In amazement, the whole earth followed the beast. They worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all the inhabitants of the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life from the lamb that was slaughtered. Let anyone who has an ear listen. If you are to be taken captive, into captivity you go. If you kill with the sword, with the sword you must be killed. Here is a call for the endurance and the, and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast that rose out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast on its behalf, and it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound had been healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in the sight of all. And by the signs that it is allowed to perform on behalf of the beast, it deceives the inhabitants of earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that had been wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could not even speak and cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell who does not have the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let anyone with understanding 
calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. I'm going to count on you all to help inoculate the rest of the population with some accurate information about the mark of the beast because some of the inaccurate information about it is dangerous. Number one thing I teach my students about the book of Revelation, it is Revelation, there's no S on the end. Number two, if someone tells you that there's some specific detail in the book of Revelation that means something specific in today's world, be very suspicious. Number three, the book of Revelation is about Rome the ancient Roman Empire. The beast is Rome. Both beasts are Rome. The dragon is Rome. The book is all about Rome, the ancient Roman Empire. Number four, this was the revelation of John of Patmos, who was exiled to the island of Patmos in persecution of people like him who were followers of Jesus in the first century. This was probably written around the year 90, somewhere in that decade of the first century of the common era. The book of Revelation is what we call apocalyptic literature. It's much like Daniel in this way. And an apocalypse is written in coded language. Think of those decoder rings or those puzzles where a certain symbol equals a certain letter. The same thing is going on here, except we don't have the key. So we need to count on people who have researched the ancient Roman Empire and the early followers of Jesus to try to get the best idea possible of what those symbols are. I usually compare Revelation and Daniel to political cartoons. And if you spend a little while looking at some political cartoons and ask yourself, what did I need to know in order to understand this? You'll realize how much coded language is in that imagery. So when we do this in class, my students have, for instance, noticed that political cartoons of President Obama always depicted him with big ears. That's how you knew it was him. And political cartoons of President Trump always depicted him with big hair. That's how you knew it was him. In the passage I just read, there was a little hint to tell the readers who the writer was talking about with that word or that number that was the mark of the beast, the number 666 or the number 616, if you were to read the footnote in your new revised standard version, stands for Nero Caesar. So here's how this worked. In 
Hebrew, the language of the, the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, there weren't separate numbers. The letters stood for numbers. So the first letter of the alphabet or Aleph Bet as it's called, Aleph is one, Bet is two, and so forth. So if you take the number 666, you can see that it corresponds to the word Nero Caesar, or those words Nero Caesar. Now, Hebrew does have, in a few cases, a little bit of an alternate spelling where you can spell the same thing in two different ways. So there is a slightly different way you can also spell Nero Caesar. And so that's why in some of the ancient manuscripts of Revelation, it says 616 instead of 666. But almost all of the scholars agree this refers to Nero Caesar. Now, Nero Caesar was probably dead by the time that the book of Revelation was being written. By that time, it was Domitian, but he was thought of as a second Nero. So all you had to do in that time, and apparently now again, thanks to Rick Riordan, as my daughter pointed out, all you had to do was say Nero and everybody knew who you meant. It was the ruler of the day who you wanted to criticize or who was um, oppressing the people. So this mark of the beast was shorthand or code for that evil emperor, kind of like we might today refer to certain politicians by coded nicknames, and I'll let you think of your own on your own. I just won't include that in my sermon. So with the mark of the beast, the early Christians exemplified in Revelation by John of Patmos were not talking about masks. They were not talking about vaccines or vaccine passports or barcodes or any of the other dozens of things that you can find on various parts of the internet that people have said the mark of the beast is. They were talking about the Roman Empire. And incidentally, if you, would you, should you want to check my work, which I always encourage my students to do, a really good website where you can find lots of different Bible scholars discussing these types of things about stuff that's in the Bible. That, that kind of doctor is BibleOdyssey.org. That's O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y, BibleOdyssey.org. That's all the Bible scholars. We have a guild, and we contribute articles, and sometimes we disagree with each other, but you get the, the main gist right there on that website. So with the mark of the beast, the early Christians were talking symbolically about the Roman Empire, and they didn't want to come right out and say the name of the emperor because, of course, he was persecuting them, so they used coded language. This was an empire that was killing people if they refused to worship the empire, and there were references to that in chapter 13. This was an empire that referred to its rule as peace. You may have heard of the Pax Romana. They referred to its rule as peace, yet they used violence to achieve that so-called peace. This is an empire that, in which a tiny upper class lived on luxuries while leaving most of its subjects in abject poverty. 
And we can see that in many of the stories of the Gospels with people that Jesus interacted with who were sick, who were poor, who were injured, who were demon-possessed. They were living difficult, terrible lives because they were subjects of the Roman Empire. This empire had an economic monopoly on society. They engaged in the slave trade and they marginalized those who would not play by its economic rules. Those people were excluded from commerce at all, pushing them into poverty. So one thing we heard there in chapter 13 is that those who had the mark of the beast were able to buy and sell, engage in commerce, and those who did not have it could not participate in the economic system. In fact, those who resisted that empire were persecuted and excluded and executed. And the ones who resisted were largely the ones who said, we won't worship the emperor. Why wouldn't they worship the emperor? because they said, we worship God. So for centuries, that was the Jewish people who gotten into trouble anytime there was an emperor who insisted on being worshiped and they would say no. And now it was people who had, some of whom had been Jewish and now were following Jesus who said the same thing. No, we are not allowed to worship the empire. And that's what happened to them. They were persecuted and excluded and executed. So Revelation is not about inevitable things that we should be worrying about in the future, but it's about past suffering of the early Christian community. Yet just because it was about ancient Rome does not mean it's meaningless to us. There are features of the Roman Empire that parallel our society today. It is not an exact analogy at all. The beast today, though, is an empire, any empire, that does not care for its children or for the poor. The beast today builds up the rich and marginalizes the poor. And these ancient words about the beast should prompt us to work against the current injustices that we're supposed to be preventing for the sake of the good of the community. So we've heard a lot of talk about individual rights. As the governor replied to me in my letter to him, he said, it is your right to send your children to school in masks. But talking about individual rights can be problematic when it comes to something like a virus, which affects the whole community. Masks and vaccines, I thought we all knew after the past year and a half, are most effective when everyone participates. That's how we solved polio in another generation. I read within the past year a book by Jamal Green called How Rights Went Wrong, Why Our Obsession with Rights is Tearing America Apart. And one of the things that he talks about is the issue of competing rights and that we tend to use this idea of rights and all we have to do is name it and claim it and conversation over. But sometimes, 
we have to weigh the rights. So what has been on my mind is the right to a safe public education that supersedes the right to make an individual decision about masking in that educational context. Well, on Friday, my colleague Mark Davies, who is a doctor of ethics, wrote on his One World House website that this pandemic will not be solved by a focus on individual rights or personal choice. This pandemic will only be solved by caring for community, the whole community. This pandemic will only be solved by social responsibility. To get through this crisis, we will need to use all the wisdom of the doctors of medicine and the doctors of religion and the doctors of ethics, and we will need to go way beyond that to every person in the community who can take responsibility for the whole community, for the common good. So on the fifth day, on Friday, Superintendent McDaniel called a press conference. He did what he does. He took leadership and he said, this law does not prevent me as the public school's superintendent from saying, we have a new rule. We will wear masks. And now we all need to do what we do. And I don't know what all of you do, but I think you can figure something out. It might be educating a family member. It might be patiently having a conversation. It might be writing letters or wearing your mask or making a mask and giving it away to someone. It might be your own kind of creative protest that you make up. It might be listening or knitting or cooking or volunteering or donating. There are more challenges, of course, certainly with this pandemic, but beyond it, too many challenges that are with us in our society and the world. But today, I hope we can help inoculate the community from unnecessary fears. The mark of the beast is not a vaccine, and it is not masks. It was about Emperor Nero and those who followed him with equally brutal reigns. And probably the most dangerous thing about the beast of the Roman Empire was not even Nero or any other villainous ruler of that time, but the masses of people who followed that empire who were afraid to get into the fray, who just wanted to keep their heads down and avoid conflict. The earliest followers of Jesus banded together to survive that time. And we will only survive this time by banding together way beyond this particular community into the much wider community. As Dr. Davies said, we will have to be more committed to social responsibility than to personal responsibility, 
more invested in community rights than in individual rights. We will do this by caring for each other and by building community that cares for each other. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only, premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.